so gracious. Lord, thank you for that amazing gift God, sending your son to be the savior to pay the price that we owed. That while we were still sinners, Christ died. Lord, thank you. Thank you that you didn't stay dead, but God, you rose again. The tomb is empty. We serve a living God. The only holy God. Lord, help us to remember that without you, we have nothing. You are the only good in us. You are the only thing we need. God, thank you for your provision and bringing a man who loves the Lord to this church. For this opportunity to, for, to have Pastor David come preach, to come share 
what you have laid on his heart, God. Lord, I pray that you speak through him, that your spirit will speak through him, and that we will see you glorified. God, I pray that you prepare our hearts, make us ready to receive this word, and that we can leave this church, this building, we can leave better equipped to be your church, that we can love those around us well, and that we can love you well. Father, we love you, and we praise you. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. All right. Good morning. Um, boy, it's been a whirlwind of a weekend. I don't know about y'all, but man, I'm I'm tired. <laughs> It has been good. It's been very profitable. Amen. Yeah. Uh, thankful for everybody who got to come yesterday to our, our time of uh, question and answer and getting to meet David. For those of you who are visiting, you're here on a very unique Sunday in that uh, David Sullivan is coming to us from uh, Muldrow, Kentucky. I'm going to say it wrong. It, it never fails. Muldrow, Kentucky uh, to preach today in view of a call. And uh, we're very excited uh, about what the Lord is doing here and doing through him, but also in our church. And so I'm honored to get to introduce him and Katie and his family this morning. And uh, so just bring us a word, brother. Appreciate it. Let me pray for us this morning. Father, as we come to what is a very unique Sunday in the life of Faith Family, and it's a very unique Sunday in my life and the life of my family, um, God, in this moment and in these moments that follow as we take our Bibles in our hands and as we look to your Holy Word, God, there is one thing and one thing only that matters, and God, that is that we come to hear from you. Um, Father, we come to open up your Word Father, we come to lay aside any preconceived notions about your word. Father, we come with, um, God, our hearts just ready to receive all that you would have for us. God, as your spirit works in us, um, God, just to show us the truth of your word, I pray that we would be consistently encouraged in these moments, helped, God, that we would be made more like Jesus. Father, that, um, that we would be convicted of our sin. God, that we would be brought to a right repentance and in a right uh, relationship with you. Father, I pray for those in the room that don't know Christ as Savior. Maybe they've heard some things about Jesus. Maybe they even think to some degree that they are right with him, but they've never turned from their sins and trusted in him. God, I pray that this would be the day, not that they came to hear the new perspective preacher, but Father, this would be the day that they came to meet Jesus. And Father, that you would do just an abundant work of grace in their hearts. God, we love you. Thank you for your word. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. Well, church, let me invite you to take your copy of God's word and join me in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 this morning. 2 Corinthians chapter 1. Uh, there is so much to say in time. I, I hope that we will get the opportunity to do that. But Katie and I and our family, we are just so very excited and thankful to be here and to be a part uh, of what God is doing here, what God has been doing here. And by grace, what God is going to continue uh, to do here uh, with and in and uh, among us. It is a 
just such a treat for us. And again, another, another day, we'll, we'll, we'll tell longer stories, but this has just been such a desire of our hearts for Katie and I for, for quite some time now, that the Lord would bring us back to a place that we love among a people and a culture that we love. And so to get this opportunity really does feel like just such a sweet gift from the Lord uh, to us. And so here's my aim this morning. Uh, again, I alluded to it as we prayed together. I, I know that uh, the hanging over us is, is a ballot and a vote and a thumbs up or a thumbs down kind of kind of moment. But beloved, what's more important than that is that in this moment that we would hear from the word of the Lord together. And my great aim and my great desire in these moments together is that you guys would be encouraged uh, that you would be helped, and um, that as you come face to face with some of the realities, the difficult realities that you're walking through in your personal life, maybe the life of your family, other situations, my hope is that in that suffering, that you would find yourself in a place, not that your eyes are fixed on you and your ability to sort of get through it, to, to suck it up, to deal with it, to get over it, but that you would arrive at a place where you are fixing your eyes on a holy, sovereign, triune God who has done a great and blessed and glorious work in saving you from your sin. And so as we come to the text this morning of 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 21 and 22, here's the big context. Paul is writing this epistle and really one of the, the big, if not the major theme of 2 Corinthians is that of the relationship between the Christian and suffering. Between the Christian and suffering. Drawing us into the reality, beloved. And I would just have you, if you don't already have in your heart, in your mind at this moment, I would have you just to go ahead and settle into your heart that as a believer on the path of Christ-exalting obedience, there is going to be suffering along the way. And if somebody told you differently that, hey, if you become a Christian, Jesus will take care of all of your problems and you'll never have a, a, another terrible day again. It'll always be 72 and sunny and life will never be difficult. If that's what you were told, then beloved, I'm sorry, that's just not the reality. The scripture is full. It is replete with the language that if we are going to follow hard after Christ, then what that necessarily means for us is that there are going to be days of suffering. And so as Paul is addressing that throughout this whole epistle, in chapter 1, he even delves into that a bit deeper to talk through the reality that in ministry, in uh, gospel ministry, in being a part of the, the, the bride of Christ, just being a Christian, that one of the things that is absolutely going to be true is that there are going to be moments of suffering, whether that's because you live in a sinful, broken world, because someone sins against you or because you sin and you're bearing the consequences of that, there are going to be moments when we find ourselves in a place where sorrows like sea billows roll, as the hymn tells us. And as Paul delves into all of this, beginning in chapter 1, Paul is dealing with a context of suffering that has come his way, and it has come his way from what might seem to us the most unlikely of places. 
It has come to Paul, this suffering through the church. Beloved, here's the reality. We're all sinners in here desperately in need of the grace of Jesus, all right? And so if you're looking up here at this guy thinking that, um, that he's going to be a, a perfect pastor, let me, just, let me just tell you from the jump, that is absolutely not going to be the case. In me, you're not getting a perfect pastor. In my family, you're not getting a perfect family. And in you, I am not getting a perfect church, right? It's just a reality. We are all sinners desperately in need of the grace of Jesus. And sometimes as we live life together, as we rub elbows with one another, what can sometimes happen is that false accusations come our way or those that should love us the most end up wounding us the most. There are going to be those to whom you give your blood, your sweat, your tears, and they are going to walk away in the pursuit of something that is false, of something that is not even of the Lord. And so, beloved, when these moments inevitably come, When suffering comes your way, make sure that you find yourself confidently rooted, not in yourself, but confidently rooted in the work of a sovereign, triune, omnipotent God as it relates to your salvation, your Christian walk, and your service to the Lord. For if you find yourself rooted in you, or rooted in what others think about you, if you find yourself rooted in something other than the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, then when suffering comes, when the wounds are struck, when people walk away, you will be crushed by that. You will be crushed and you will despair. However, however, if your confidence is rooted in the work of God what God has done, what God is doing, and what God has promised, dear saints, to one day bring to completion, if your hope and your confidence is there, then you will stand and you will face and endure the trials as God has called us to do. So that's the bigger context. So here's hope for us then in verses 21 and 22 of chapter 1 of 2 Corinthians. Now, He who establishes us with you in Christ and anointed us is God, who also sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. And so as you're looking at those two verses, verses 21 and 22, you're noticing some things that are jumping off the page there at you. You're noticing these verbs that are giving shape to what, uh, what, what God is intending to say to us together this morning. And so what I want to do, just help to frame this up for us a bit, is I want us to see in these two verses four acts of God, four things that God is doing, or God has done, God is going to do. So four acts of of God for us to see together. And number one, we find this, that it is God who establishes. God establishes. Look how verse 21 begins. Now, he who establishes us with you in Christ, and then at the end of verse 21, is God. And saints, what I I want you to notice in this text this morning, let your eyes fall on these two verses again, is from the outset, I want you to see 
that Paul is citing here for us, he's drawing us into not just some, some, some nice verses, but he's drawing us into this deep theological reality that's going to have amazing practical ramifications in your life. And as you're looking at verses 21 and 22, what, you're, what you see Paul doing is he is mentioning the work of God the Father, of God the Son, and God the Spirit. And how they cooperate together all equally God, yet cooperating in different roles together to bring about our glorious salvation. This is something that Paul will do throughout his epistles. Titus chapter 3 verses 4 to 7 is such a place where Paul does a deep dive, if you will, into how it is that the triune God brings about our salvation. And to begin with, Paul says here in verse 21 that it is God who establishes us with you in Christ. And I want you to notice something really important about that word establishes. I want you to notice that that verb is in the present tense. It's not merely something that happened in the past. It's not merely something that is promised in the future, but it's what? It's right here. It's right now. It's for you, dear saint, in this moment. For those of you that walked in the door and you're suffering and you kind of limped in for whatever reason, right here, right now, if you are in Christ, God establishes us with you in him. So here's the idea, beloved. It's not that God saved you at some point in the past, established you and made you firm at some point in the past, But now, because you've sort of messed it up along the way, he doesn't really want to have anything to do with you anymore. And I think if we're all honest, sometimes that's just how we feel, right? Like we have a stretch of days or weeks or months or who knows how long, and we're just not walking with the Lord as we should. And we don't feel the pleasure of God on our lives as we would desire. And we, we, we ration our way through that, and we, what we, what we rationalize in our hearts is that somewhere along the line, I messed this up. And somewhere along the line, God just doesn't really want to have anything to do with me. But the ongoing reality for the Christian in verse 21 is that God establishes you. And it's also this, beloved, it's it's also not this, that God established you at some point in the past and then said, here, I think you've got it. Why don't you take it from here by yourself? No, it is God who begins the work of salvation in us. And it is God who is continuing the work of salvation in us. In you, beloved, God the Father saved you, and it is God the Father who is keeping you saved. If you are in Christ this morning, it is not because you did that on your own, you figured it out on your own, and if you have been a Christian for 50 years in the room this morning, it's not because you figured out how to weave it all together and tie it up in a nice little bow. No, it is that God is establishing you this very day, if it were up to me and you, dear saints, to keep ourselves saved, if it were up to you and I to keep ourselves saved, we would most certainly be lost. If it were up to my good behavior, my law-keeping ability, my being pleasing to God on my own, let me just tell you how that's going to end. It's going to end with me lost and dead and separated from a holy, righteous God. You are not secure in your salvation because of you. You are secure in your salvation because the sovereign hand of God is keeping you saved. I want you to just think about the gospel and salvation and how you came to know the Lord. What is the Bible telling us? 
In Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4, God chose you in him before the foundation of the world. In Ephesians 1, verse 5, God predestined you to be a part of his family. In Ephesians 1, verse 7, God redeemed you from your sin through Jesus' blood. In Romans chapter 8 and verse 30, God justified you and made you legally right with him before his holy presence after doing all of that. Do we think that God is then going to say, you know what? I think they've got it. I think I'll let them take it from here. Absolutely not. And beloved, we are so thankful for that. For if it were up to us, we would be lost and undone before God. The same grace that saved you, that made you firm, that put your feet upon the foundation who is Christ, that drew you out of your death and your sin and your depravity and all of the stain The same grace that did that, dear saints, is the same grace that's keeping you saved in this very moment. Beloved, we never outgrow our need for God's grace. It's not merely the entryway into the kingdom. It is the essence of the kingdom. It is the flavor of the kingdom. It is not merely something that you experience once in your life and then you grow out of it and you get over it. It is the day in and day out flavor and power of God that is keeping you right with him. And notice in verse 21, he has established us in whom he establishes us. Paul drawing in the Corinthian church, all the saints, he establishes us with you in Christ. Friends, if you were here this morning and you're not sure about this gospel thing, if you're not sure exactly about this church thing, if it doesn't all make sense to you, then let me see if I can be as crystal clear as possible that there is no salvation, there is no grace of God apart from Jesus Christ. I want to just be abundantly clear about that in a world that minces and hedges their words, in a world that values blurring the lines, dear saints, as the church of the Lord Jesus Christ. We are absolutely clear, particularly about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. And rule number one in this, if you will, is that salvation is in Christ alone. It is not in our efforts. It is not in this moment for me. It is not in your best day. It is in Christ and what he has done for you. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 30, Paul would say this, but by his, God's, but by his doing, you are in Christ Jesus who became to us from God righteousness, wisdom, and sanctification, and redemption. There's no salvation apart from Christ. There is no imputed righteousness apart from Christ. And why would you need such a thing as this imputed righteousness? It's because, dear saints, and and, and all friends in the room this morning, it's because your very best deeds are not enough to assuage the holy wrath of a holy God. We must have a righteous law-keeping that comes to us from outside of ourselves, and that is through Christ alone. There is no sanctification growing in the faith and growing in holiness apart from Christ. There is no redemption being set free from the bondage of our sin apart from Christ. 
So as we look at verse 21 and we're thinking about the hope in the midst of difficulty, beloved, where is our hope? In whom, in what does your hope lie this morning? Is it just merely in your church attendance? Is it that you would tick off a few religious boxes this morning thinking that that's going to be enough to rescue you from the wrath of a holy God, dear friends? It is not. It is God who establishes. And if you are in Christ this morning and you find that you're just kind of limping through the Christian life at this moment, I want to say it a thousand times this morning if I can. God sees you. He loves you. He knows you cares about you, and even though this week, this past week, may have been just a a terrible week for you, you didn't spend time in God's word like you wanted to, you responded in sinful ways, and you didn't even mean to necessarily, and you just are feeling the weight and the guilt of that, you're saying God loves you, God establishes you, but then secondly, God has done what in verse 21? God anointed God establishes number one, then number two, as we're thinking about all that God has done, God anointed. Verse 21, now he who establishes us with you in Christ and, secondly, anointed us, is God. You will notice here that that word anointed is in the past tense. And this is something that God, at the very moment of your salvation God set you apart unto him cleansed through the blood of Christ and now set apart unto him for his good purposes you you might be thinking Old Testament language here with that anointed language you might be thinking about those moments in the Old Testament maybe in the book of Exodus as God establishes the tabernacle and the priesthood you remember Aaron and his sons come and there's that whole moment where they and all the implements of the tabernacle they are anointed with this precious oil signifying that they are set apart unto God they belong to God they are for God's good purposes. And then as you keep reading through the Old Testament in places like Isaiah chapter 44 and verse 3, you're running across these these promises of God that seem to be future promises where God promises an anointing that is going to come upon his people. Isaiah 44 verse 3, I will pour out my spirit on your offspring and my blessing on your descendants. And then as you make your way into the gospels and you're introduced to the life and the ministry of the Lord, Lord Jesus Christ. He is called in the Gospels God's anointed. Jesus would say about himself in Luke chapter 4, verse 18 The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. As the apostles are preaching in Acts chapter 4 and verse 27, the prayer of the apostles in that moment in their teaching is that Jesus is God's anointed. Peter preaching to the Gentiles in Acts 10 verse 38, he says this to them, you know Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed him with the Holy Spirit and with power. So here's what all of that has to do with us, beloved. Just as those in the Old Testament were anointed and set apart, Just as God promised an anointing to come on his people, just as Jesus is the anointed one of God, so then all who are in Christ, verse 21, all who are in Christ have been anointed by God. You are set apart by God. You are God's chosen, special, covenant people. We live unto him. We live for him. We are no longer ourselves. We are given solely, wholly unto him. 
This is why John would write in 1 John chapter 2 and verse 20, but you have an anointing from the Holy One. And I don't want us to get this twisted or confused here. We're not talking about some special or fresh anointing of the Holy Spirit that you have to generate by certain, uh, you know, certain kind of religious acts. We're not, we're not talking about that, nor is Scripture. We're talking about the fact that at the very moment of your conversion, God's Spirit comes upon you and anoints you and sets you apart as God's chosen, precious child. Now, keep building on that with me because thirdly, thinking about this anointing, the Spirit that is upon us, thirdly, what else has God done? Verse 22. You always wonder in a moment like that, like if you said something wrong, right? Like... God correcting me here. Carry on with me. Verse 22. God has done what? Thirdly, God has, is it me? Is it me? Is that it? Is that better? This is why they don't let me play with nice things. Thirdly, God, and if we just need to turn it off, I got a big mouth, Randall, so I can go, I can go all day. Yeah. Thirdly, what has God done? He has sealed Uh, You see the language there in verse 22 with me. What has God done? He has sealed us. The Spirit of God that has come to you, that has anointed you, has thirdly done what? God has sealed. Verse 22, who has sealed us and gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. So saints, here's what we got. At the very moment of our salvation, God's spirit comes and dwells our hearts and we are sealed unto him. So it's not as though like God comes and establishes and says, let me, let me put them in a little bit of a trial period here. Let's do a little bit of a 90 day, like six month trial, something like that. And we'll see if they actually kind of get this right. No. Again, it's God who establishes by ourselves we're never going to get it right. And so God comes to us, giving us his spirit, anointing, setting apart. And then thirdly, in verse 22, sealing us. The sealing of God's spirit is not something we earn. It's not something we cultivate. And we never have to wonder, dear saints, if God is going to decide to keep us or not. No, we are sealed by his very spirit. God has sealed us, and that means at least two things for us this morning. That we are sealed by God, number one, it means that we are marked as belonging to God. We are marked as belonging to him. Think about how a king in days of old when he wanted to send out a, a royal edict or some, some kind of decree that would be written out and then with the signet ring on, uh, on his finger, he would stamp that wax, right? And it would bear the seal of the king. And what did that symbolize in that moment? That's the king's, that's his word, that belongs to him. You recall the moment after Jesus is buried in the tomb and they come to Pilate and Pilate He tells them to go and make the tomb as secure as they know how. And they would seal that tomb with the the sign, the seal of of Caesar. This is his. It belongs to his. Don't trespass here. Don't mess with anything here. At our conversion, beloved, 
At the very moment that we are saved, we are marked by God's Spirit, bearing in us now a seal that we belong to God. So Paul would write in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verse 19, The firm foundation of God stands. Having this seal, the Lord knows who are His. We are marked out by God's Spirit in us. And then how do we know if the Spirit of God is in us? All who will bear that seal, they will grow in their walk and their relationship with the Lord Jesus Christ and they will produce fruit of the Spirit of God in them. They will not merely attest to a mental idea or just a theological reality. This will become something that is working itself into and then out of their lives by the Spirit of God that they bear. And then secondly, that we are sealed by God's Spirit, it means that we are eternally protected and kept and secure by God's Spirit. Once a person is truly born again, once they have turned from their sins and placed their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, they will be eternally secure in Christ. Again, not because they are keeping themselves safe, right? It's God who establishes. It's the Spirit that seals. But they, because of that sealing work of God's Spirit, they are eternally kept. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 13, in Him you also After listening to the message of the truth, the gospel of your salvation, having also believed, you were sealed in him with the Holy Spirit of promise. Then John chapter 6 and verse 39, in light of that, Jesus would say then, all that the Father gives to me, I lose nothing. I will raise it up on the last day. John chapter 10, verses 28 and 29, Jesus again, I give eternal life to them and they shall never perish and no one shall snatch them out of my hand. My father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them out of the father's hand. So saints, do do you get it? That when suffering comes, That's the great context of 2 Corinthians, right? So when suffering comes, and when it gets hard, and when there is the inevitable temptation to say, you know what, it would just be easier to walk away from this and go do something else with my life. In the moment when others wound you, they should be the ones that love you and care for you the most, but in a careless moment, a sinful moment, they wound you. When, because you live in a sinful, broken world, disease comes and tragedy comes. In the moment when you sin against God and you are bearing and reaping the consequences of that in your own soul and you are wondering in those moments, does God see me? Does God care about me? Does God know me? Am I even really born again? Beloved, find your hope not in yourself, but where? Or in whom? In the Spirit of God that has sealed you for the day of redemption. If you are in Christ this morning, God is never, ever, ever, ever going to lose you, dear saint. You remember that moment in the beginning of Exodus? 
children of Israel are there. It's been over 400 years. They are groaning in their bondage. And right before Moses comes on the scene and that story of deliverance really begins, you read there in the last verse of chapter 2 that the children of Israel groaned in their bondage. And then it says very simply, and God knew. He knew. It means that God saw it. It it means that God cared about it. And it means that God was about to do something about it. If you limped into the room this morning, if walking with the Lord has been challenging in recent days or weeks, if you've been wounded by the wound of, of a friend who sinned against you, if in the life of, of this dear church body there have just been moments of, of, of wounding and you wonder, is it even really worth it? Saints, God sees you, he loves you, he has sealed you, he's not going to lose you, he's going to get you safely home. And then fourthly, how do we know that all that's true? Because fourthly, in verse 22, God has pledged He's pledged. God has made promise. So, verse 22, through God's Spirit, he has sealed us, gave us the Spirit in our hearts as a pledge. God has given his Spirit to you, dear saint, at the moment of your conversion. God has given his Spirit as both a seal and a pledge. And here's what the pledge says. I'm going to finish what I started in you. I didn't, I didn't do all this on the front end. I didn't crush my son for you to lose you or to let even one of my precious promises to you go unfulfilled. I leave no wounded soldiers on the battlefield, God says. I come back for them all and I take them all safely home. God has given the spirit in you as a pledge. It's a down payment. MacArthur says it's a down payment of future glory. The spirit in you is God's promise to you. And we sang earlier, remember, of a holy God. A holy God who cannot lie. It's just that he, it's not that he tries really hard not to lie. It's that he cannot lie. It is not in his nature. For his nature, all aspects of his character are bound by his holiness. And so then, that has to mean that all of God's promises to you are going to come to fruition. In a time of his choosing, They will come to fruition. The Holy Spirit in you is God's down payment that says, at a future time, I'm coming back. At a future time, I'm going to finish what I started. At a future time, even though it's hard right now, it's not going to always be this way. And I'm going to get my people safely Friends, isn't that the story of the Bible? From Genesis to Revelation, that is the story of the Bible. That God creates, 
a people for himself, and a land flowing with milk and honey, if you will. They sin, they rebel, they're sent out from God's holy presence. But as you're looking at Genesis 3 going forward all the way to the final amen of Revelation, it's the story of what? God getting his people safely home. Saint, God sees you this morning. In all of the hurt that you're not telling anybody about, God sees it. In all of the temptation to walk away and do something different, God sees it. In all of the wounds that you have suffered in the path of Christ exalting obedience, God sees it. But there is a pledge that he has written upon your soul by his spirit. I'm coming back and I'm going to finish what I started. Turn back a few pages just to Romans chapter 8. Romans chapter 8, this glorious chapter on the gospel and its outworkings in our life. Romans chapter 8, pick up with me in verse 9. Paul's reminding the saints here that they're not in the flesh anymore, they're in the spirit of God. So Romans chapter 8 and verse 9, however, you are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If indeed the spirit of God dwells in you, But if anyone does not have the spirit of Christ, he does not belong to him. If Christ is in you, though the body is dead because of sin, yet the spirit is alive because of righteousness. And then watch this. But if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Philippians chapter 1 verse 9, you know it so well. I am confident of this very thing. That he who began a good work in you, saints, what's he going to do? He's going to bring it to completion and perfection until the day of Christ Jesus. Church God establishes you. His grace that saved you is the same grace that's keeping you saved. So for some of you this morning, here's what I think that means. For some of you this morning, what that means for you is that you just need to rest in Christ this morning. For some of you, you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior. And you're working yourself to the bone in a futile effort to make yourself right with God. And I'll just go ahead and let you in on something right now. If you got 10,000 lifetimes, you would never ever do enough to make yourself right with God. Salvation is in Christ alone. The turmoil in your soul is only assuaged by Christ. And so stop trying to make yourself right with God and come to Jesus. He loves you. He sees you. His blood is for you. And through that shed blood comes forgiveness of all your sin. For others of you in the room, maybe you are in Christ. And you're under the impression that you have to absolutely work yourself to the bone to make yourself acceptable and pleasing to God. Stop. 
No, I'm not saying stop serving. I'm saying stop with the idea that you've got to make yourself more lovely and acceptable to God by filling every spare moment you've got in doing something. Because if I sit idly by, I'll be disappointing to God. And if I disappoint him enough, he might not receive me until the very end. Oh, saints, serve and give yourself for the sake of the gospel, but rest in the finished work of Christ, for it is through him that God establishes you. It's not through your effort. It's not through mine. It's God's doing in Christ. God has set you apart for him. He has anointed you. He has sealed you. You belong to him. And he is going to preserve you to the very end, dear saint. So when it gets hard, not if, but when it gets hard, remember the hope of the gospel. Remember the hope of texts such as the one we're looking at this morning and do not look to yourself in that. Look to Christ. And God has pledged to come and receive you back to himself. Church, God loves you more than you know. He does. He loves you more than you know. So, find your confidence in the work of the sovereign omnipotent, triune God, the Son Christ, who has loved you and given himself for you. Let's pray together this morning. Father, as we think about the reality of, of suffering, and there's so much more to say in that, but Father, your word is so clear that there's not a single one of us that are going to escape suffering in this life. All of us will go to heaven with some scars. There will be scars along the way. And Father, the reality is that in this room, there are people bearing some really deep, deep scars. And they're wrestling with some aspects of a relationship with you that they just didn't anticipate. They never anticipated that it might be that difficult. And they've wondered a thousand times in the watches of the night if it's worth it or not. They've contemplated just not getting up on Sunday mornings and not coming to be with the saints in worship because it just might not be worth it. It hurts too much. The cuts go too deep. Paul understood that. Paul understood what it meant to suffer for the sake of the gospel. Early church and scripture understood that. Saints all over the world still know that to be true today. So God, because of that reality, Father, I pray that our eyes would be fixed upon you and that our hope would not be in ourselves and our ability to pull ourselves up by our self-righteous bootstraps and get it together. 
But God, that our hope would be in you and what you have done for us in Christ, what you are doing in us now by the work of your spirit and God, what you will one day do as you get your people safely home. So God, lift up those that are discouraged. Father, maybe those, there are some who came in the room and they were just reveling in great joy in their hearts this morning. Father, for, for that one, God, I pray that they would just continue to celebrate the goodness of the gospel this morning. Help them to remember that one day they will enter into a moment or a season of suffering and God, that these things would just be further cemented into their souls. Father, as we sing again in response to your word, Father, I pray that you would work among us so that we would respond accordingly. God, that sinners would turn from their sin and come to Christ and be saved. God, that your people would rest in Christ and revel in the gospel. And God, just marinate in the reality. God, that you have pledged to complete what you started. We thank you for that. And we ask and pray all these things in Christ's great name.